You're listening to Talking Tricks, the home of amazing stories from magic, circus, variety, and comedy performers. Hello and welcome. What is this? It's a podcast. Who's it with? Kane and Abel. Who are we? Two magicians with the exact same voice, bringing you exclusive interviews with people from the world of comedy, magic, circus, and variety pretty much every week. Mum, I gotta come clean, I gotta be honest, it's just me. It's just the firstborn, the middle child, the firstborn of the twins, the Abel in Cain and Abel Lawrence, Abel, the hairy one, whatever you know me as, it's just me today, I gotta be honest. Cain is in Brighton, you all know this by now, we've mentioned it before. We struggle every week to get together, and uh, this is a week that it's just me, so I'll keep this nice and short. I will say, please do us a favour, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, as we're going to be bringing you, you know, a varying degree of different podcasts every week. Sometimes people from the world of magic, sometimes people from circus. Today we've got a very, very exciting guest, Tin and Duet, a very great comedian who I'm very great at that. <laughs> Can I say that? I don't know. He's a great comedian. And I wanted to have him on here for a while to talk about comedy. Um, but he's also a political comedian. He's the host of the Partly Political podcast. Something that helps me understand what's going on in politics. So it seems like there's no finer time to get Tim on the podcast than this week to help us digest the UK's general election. It's coming up this week. The great British public will vote for its next Prime Minister. And Tim is going to talk us talk us through kind of everything we need to know and kind of there's a few sort of things going on I wasn't really sure about. I wanted to get a better understanding of Tim and really has got his finger on the pulse of uh, UK politics and he kind of you know can add a little bit of humour in, into everything that's going on. So it's really interesting chat coming up with Tin and tactical voting, each of the party leaders, comedy and politics, and how to avoid having bread rolls thrown at you. Sorry, Nish, I had to mention that. Nish Kumar, for those that don't know, uh, did a political comedy last week and, and had bread rolls pelted at him. So Tin and I, we're going to discuss that, and he's going to join us very, very shortly in a moment. Uh, but before then, we, we've just completed a week-long tour of Norfolk as part of the fantastic Silver Social Project. Uh, the Silver Social Project it brings world-class acts, I think that's us, to rural areas for afternoon shows for people that might not otherwise have a reason to get out of the house or just someone to talk to. We found this really, really rewarding being able to travel around little Norfolk village halls, working with a great team at Breckland Council and meeting some amazing people and, and it was really, really lovely, really good show. So, um, you know, if you, if you have any sort of elderly people that you know about that are maybe in rural areas, look out because the Silver Social is, I believe, a nationwide thing and, and it would be great to get them onto it. It was also quite nice because we were home by about four or five o'clock. I say home, we had an Airbnb, but we were back there by four or five o'clock every evening. So uh, we lent us a lot of time. 
to, to relax and chill out. We did our first ever escape room at Puzzlescape and visited the English Whiskey Company. Just some of our evening highlights. English Whiskey Company, if, if you're a whiskey fan, check that out if you're ever in Norfolk. We had delicious soup and I bought a bottle of Norfolk Nog, which is basically Bailey's. Yeah, that's right. We went to a whiskey distillery and I came home with Bailey's. Whiskey connoisseurs, I can only apologise, but I'm feeling pretty Christmassy. Got a little glass of Norfolk Nog to my side. The tree is up, the lights are on, the living room is looking pretty festive at the moment. In fact, I've just watched Love Actually, which did get me thinking. Why can't you grab be our Prime Minister? I know he's been out campaigning for anyone but Boris, but you know, he seems like a nice guy. I like that. Hugh Grant as our Prime Minister. That'd be fun. Great film. Love Actually. It kind of has different bits that you wouldn't laugh at the first time and it gets you the next time. So that's good. For a final update I must do as well. I know in the last episode we, we mentioned our, our 1 to 11 of all time footballers. A football team made up of magicians. I mentioned Saints were second bottom. We're third bottom now. Yeah. That's, we've gone up, we've won two games. I know a lot of people are not football fans that listen to this, but I thought it might be fun to let you know how Saints are doing. Are we going to get relegated? Who knows? Yeah, two wins and a loss since we last saw you. So that's, that's kind of good. And they should have won the game they lost. So yeah, Southampton currently one point away uh, from getting out of the relegation zone. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we will stay up. But hey, let's get on to it. Let's get him on. I'm delighted, cannot wait, to share this afternoon's guest, today's guest, with you. It's Tiernan Duer, and he's going to tell us everything we need to know about the general election. The number one podcast for great stories from the world of magic, circus, comedy, and variety. You're listening to Talking Tricks. Joining us on Talking Tricks is Tiernan Duer. A, a political comedian, a fantastic comedian. He's going to try and help us understand this whole general election that's coming up. And um, but before then, I, I must start with an apology because our first ever, the first ever Cain and Abel Edinburgh Fringe Festival, Tiernan had the unfortunate pleasure of being on after us, and I think we overran every day. So I got to get this out of the way, Tiernan. I'm sorry. That is that is all right. It's very kind of you to say, but it's all right because you had six billion props and I just had to put a microphone on the stage. So I think it ended up being all right. Good, good. And um, Tiernan, for, for those that uh, that weren't on before you in Edinburgh, for those that kind of haven't seen seen you, um, give us a kind of an overview. How long have you been uh, in the comedy game for? Oh, my goodness. Forever, for forever and ever. Um, it's been it'll be 16 years this year. Uh if you if it's gonna be boring professionally since two thousand and seven, um. So yeah, I've been doing it for a very long time. Uh, but I've sort of been changing what I do. So I didn't used to do political comedy. I used to do really fun, silly comedy, <laughs> and, and then I got old and grumpy. <laughs> uh, age and grumpiness aside, what what else kind of uh, inspired you? I suppose, for want of a better term, to to kind of go into political comedy or to start. Um, talking about politics in your act? Uh, it was a couple of things, really. Firstly was um, meeting the comedian Mark Thomas. And I remember going to see his show uh, called As Used on the Famous Nelson Mandela, which was all about the arms trade. And um, the title is how one of the weapons was sold at an arms fair, which is horrific. And I remember watching that show and laughing so hard at all the funny bits and being absolutely distraught at all the horrible bits. And I learned so much 
because he made me laugh because he made me laugh about it. I, I absorbed it and I took it in and and it taught me a lot. And I I went up to him afterwards and I just said, you know, I'm a comedian. I just think what you do is incredible. And I, I, I don't know how you do it. And he said, oh, why don't we have a cup of tea and talk about it? And he gave me his email and um, I dropped him a line and we went we went for lunch like a week later. He'd been an idol of mine for many years. And he talked to me about why he does it. And, and it just sort of really inspired me. And then it was working with acts like Josie Long as well. Um, and and I think then also the political situation was changing. That was sort of, you know, 2008, 2009, we had the massive financial crash. And suddenly, I suppose this sounds very callous of me, but suddenly I had a reason to pay attention. I've not really... I paid attention to the Iraq war stuff because I didn't like that. But I was a student. I didn't really understand it. I was too busy drinking until my eyes bled. That was more important at the time. <laughs> you know, I just I just didn't know about the world. And and then as you get older and, and you start seeing things around you get in trouble. And then the conservatives came in in 2010 and suddenly libraries near me were closing and friends who were teachers were having a hard time. Friends who were doctors having a hard time. And you start seeing the changes. And I just, you know, to be perfectly honest, my life isn't that exciting to talk about on stage anymore I've got a very happy family I, lo I love my wife I've got a lovely crazy little toddler who's causing havoc but lots of people have that and and it's more interesting for me to talk about the world around and try and laugh at it you know rather than cry about it I think and find imaginative ways to deal with it and inform people about it that's my sort of mission statement I suppose recently we, we saw Nish Kumar um spoke about Brexit, I believe, on stage and, and as a result had bread rolls pelted at him. Is there, a, a, I suppose, a tightrope to walk when doing political comedy? Um, have you ever kind of run into troubles of, of ending up being in a room with people that, that maybe don't see uh, eye to eye with you? Yeah, yeah, quite a lot of times. I mean, I'm, I'm very careful with it. So if I'm comparing a gig, um, I tend to cut down on what I'm doing because I've got to warm up the room for the other acts and I don't want to divide the room and then bring someone on, um, which isn't very fun. Um, but if I'm doing my own set, I just... Like I saw you talking about this the other day. Like uh, I'm, I'm very much, uh, you know, I'm very much a Labour supporter this election, and um, and I'm very concerned about the Conservatives. But at the gigs I'm doing, I've got to criticise. I feel like I've got to criticise Labour too because they're being um, a bit crap, really, <laughs> about a lot of things. And you know, a lot of people don't like Corbyn. I've got to raise that. I can't just go in saying I think this is right and this is wrong. I've got to go into the audience and go, look, I know everything's a mess, and you know it's a mess. We've got to discuss this. And I feel like there's a middle ground. I mean, what, what's interesting is there was definitely quite a few years when you couldn't mention Brexit without not necessarily causing anger, but the room would get awkward because there were people in the room that felt like, uh oh, are people going to get angry? And they rarely did. Um, but what's happened now is I'm, fi I'm finding that the rooms are united by all being bored of it all. Um, so actually everyone that you talk to you sort of going in like going there's an election and everyone's going oh no <laughs> and they're all together at thinking this is terrible which I think is probably not a good thing uh, and quite worrying for the election but it's also interesting that that's now kind of getting rooms back together but I think Nish had a very uh, tricky gig and I, I, you know, he knew what the gig was going to be like and he chose to just go in and confront it. And I fully respect that. Uh, I think I probably would have gone in with some lighter stuff, maybe some stuff about my daughter first and uh, kind of warmed them to it. But hey, you know, we all we all tackle these things differently. Uh, and right now, when there is an election in like a week, we've got to, um, you know, it, it does feel quite prevalent. If, if you don't mention it, audiences sort of think, why aren't you mentioning it? Because we all know it's happening.
Yeah, absolutely. It's obviously right at the front of, of everyone's mind. Um, it, it's been, uh, you know, daily, as with any kind of, you know, uh, in the build-up to an election, there will be obviously kind of daily um, new news coming out, progressions, things like that. But this this time, it seemed like it's just been almost something else to scream at a wall about every day. Um, has this been an, an election build-up that's been... Um, so scary, so stressful, it's funny? Or, or is this something that we can't even laugh at? Is it just just daunting? I'm going to be very particular. Is is A lot of it you can laugh at, and a lot of it there's jokes to be made. I think they're jokes about things that are genuinely terrifying. <laughs> but I think you can make jokes about them. I think the hardest thing is that, as you said, there's something different every day. So if you're writing material for gigs, you've then got to rewrite it the next day. <laughs> or, you know, um, jokes on Twitter are fine because they sort of appear at the time and disappear. But jokes for live audiences... It's, it's getting quite exhausting keeping up with it. But, I mean, there's there's loads that's funny. If It's about how you choose to approach it. So, for example, we'll go dark quite quickly, but right at the beginning of the election, which no one remembers now, Jacob Rees-Mogg made horrific, horrific comments about the victims of Grenfell and said they were too, you know, they weren't clever enough uh, to kind of uh, have used their own instinct to get out of the fire, which is just unbelievably horrible. Um, you know, and, and I sort of wrote a joke about how, yeah, but, you know, we all know that if he was in a fire, he'd stand there and wait for his nanny to pick him up. Um, you know, and so there's ways that you can kind of turn it around and not look at the nasty bit of it and blame the people that are saying it. Um, but it's relentless. You know, I mean, I think I think it's very funny that every single question the Conservatives are asked, they blame it on the last Labour government, even though that was a decade ago. I mean, if I tried to blame things on people from a decade ago, like my sort of, you know, my last flatmate for not doing the washing up, if I still hadn't done it 10 years later, then it's not the flatmate that's at fault. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so there's lots of, there's, it's all the rhetoric that you can laugh at. It's all the ridiculous terms and all the ridiculous wording. Um, and I think also people's views are what people are stressed about. You know, we're uh, like Labour's policy and I think I think people are right to criticize some of the the ways in which they're being presented but the but like the policy of free broadband around the country you know it's it's, it's a really important one in terms of where we are in terms of the world and economically and so many other countries are miles ahead of us in terms of connectedness and you know which puts them in terms of business and economy way ahead of us and so we should be doing that but the response to it has been broadbands that's going to lead to gulags and you think what well, how? How will it? How how have you done that in your head? <laughs> what, at what point is somehow everyone going to be able, you know able to go on Twitter? Going to mean that we're going to end up in these kind of Russian prison camps? It doesn't quite connect, and uh, you know, and I've been joking that you know, hey, if it does, at least we'll be able to Google review them. But it's a. Uh, you know, it's, it's such, there's a strange mentality to it all. And I think that that's what you've got to be able to look at and laugh at and say, isn't this ridiculous that we're, we're not just calmly looking at this and thinking about what would be sensible to do as a nation? Yeah, I, I think also it, it's, it's quite interesting for me. And, uh, you know, when something new has developed that you can see it trending on Twitter. You go on Twitter and, and initially you'll get kind of, you know, the top line, line of what's happened, but pretty soon it will turn into a political satire from the great British public as everyone's kind of, kind of making jokes um, on Twitter. How, how has that impacted, I suppose, the, um, the way that this election's been covered? Uh, yeah, it's weird. Well, Twitter dictates the news uh, a lot more than it should. There's only, I think, I think it's like five or six million people in the UK on Twitter. When you consider there's like 68 million of us in the UK, no one should be using Twitter as a basis 
for anything. Um, you know, and, and I find that live audiences, I don't know if you found this, most live audiences haven't got a clue what's happened on Twitter that day. They're probably about a week behind in terms of news um, just because they've got real lives and they work all day and they've got, a, you know, they might catch a news headline. But strangely, because the people on Twitter are journalists and comedians and politicians, you know, that kind of dictates if something kicks off on Twitter, then then that ends up being a news story as well, um, which is weird. I think it's kind of dangerous uh, because I think there's a lot of things that we're caring about that we shouldn't care about i mean like to give an example was it yesterday day before jeremy corbyn got criticized for not watching the queen's speech on christmas day uh which i i mean i i don't know about you maybe you enjoy it i don't think i've ever intentionally watched it sometimes we've left the telly on during lunch by accident but it's (laughs) you know i don't know anyone that does it most people are sitting around consuming a lot of carbs and farting like they're making whale sounds you know that they don't they don't spend time to watch the the queen's speech but that became a big issue of the day of like he's obviously not a patriot and you're like Boris Johnson lied to the Queen (laughs) why aren't we focused on this Um, so I think I think it's dangerous in terms of you know Twitter likes to kick off and get all upset about one particular thing and in the case of that Corbyn Queen speech story everyone was talking about when they're mocking it as well but it still rises it to the top as a trending topic and so suddenly then that's the the point of the day and you're missing a lot more important stories you know we should be criticising all these parties for their policies and what they're intending to do with them and looking at them rather than the human kind of uh, f- foibles that they're, you know, or faux pas that they're making during the day. So I think that's very dangerous. But I mean, again, you know, I'm hypocritical because as a comedian, it's far more fun to talk about the fact that Jeremy Corbyn isn't going to watch the Queen's speech than some sort of economic trade policy. I, I'm amazed at the mindset of people that are like, what? God, what will this man do next? Like, as you said, I don't think I've ever watched the Queen's speech. I'm sure most people don't do it, like, on in the background at most. Um, So Twitter spear and Twitter um, straw polls aside, um, Tinnant, can we predict the result of this election? (laughs) um i don't know i i haven't got a clue really i've been i've been trying my best to understand all the polls and the problem is all well all the polls are saying that the tories will have a majority um but the i mean they may they may well be right because all of them are saying that but there's still a week to go. We don't know what's going to happen. Boris Johnson isn't turning up to any interviews and is being a total chicken about it. Um, and when, you know, when Theresa May did that in the 2017, that didn't work out well for her. Most people sort of thought, well, why won't she talk to people? This isn't a good sign. Um, so there's, there's it's probably very likely a Tory majority. However, polls have been wrong the last two elections. Um, they were wrong for the European uh, referendum as well, which is very different the way they measured that. But there's still issues with it. Um and also, there's a whole load of uh, new voters that all registered very last minute and we don't know which way they're going to go. There's a whole load of constituencies that are marginal and could absolutely swing either way. So, I mean, I'm thinking it's probably... I'm, I'm building myself up to it being a Tory majority just so if it's anything different, I can feel slightly happier on the 13th. Um, but, it's it, you know, it's either a Tory majority or a hung parliament, which isn't really a prediction, is it? That's kind of what we're expecting. But I don't think there's going to be any other way. And I think then what everyone should be concerned about is what happens after that and where things go. Um, and again, for me, selfishly, hey, I'll still be able to keep nine years of material. <laughs> but, but otherwise, it might be quite terrifying. Yeah. And, and let's kind of look at the, um, I suppose, the sort of public perception at the moment of of the sort of leaders. You know, you mentioned that Boris has, has refused um, 
the, the Andrew O'Neill interview more recently, you know, he's not turned up for, for climate debates on the TV. Uh, any kind of sort of social videos he's put out has been widely ridiculed because I think he's made himself look quite stupid, which isn't hard. Um, is his trustworthiness at, at an all-time low, Tiernan? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's completely at an all-time low. But, uh, you know, the issue is whether or not people care because people want to get Brexit done, as as the three words uh, say, um, even though it, he won't and it will take years and everything to do with Brexit is going to take years and we're going to be Brexiting for like the rest of our lives. Um you know, but people don't care. I, you know, it, it's it's terrible. I don't, I don't mean to suggest that the people are stupid. I genuinely think people don't have time to care and to research what these things mean. And if they're not being reported, you know, every news station should be saying Brexit won't get done. It's actually impossible. <laughs> it's going to take forever. Um, you know, so I, I think his trustworthiness is is he's always been at a low. He's been fired from jobs for not you know, for lying. Um, he's lied about pretty much everything he's done. And when he was, you know, London Mayor, he spent £53 million on not building a bridge. How useless do you have to be to waste that much money doing absolutely nothing? Like, he's he's a complete and utter wrong Um And, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to make any difference. And, of course, people hate uh, Corbyn more. I don't think there's any point in voting Lib Dems. And, and so that's where the issue stems from, is they sort of go, well... Why don't we just have a, a lying idiot in, you know, if that's the best option, which is, is odd. I mean, I, I'd be perfectly, uh, this isn't very funny at all, but I, a genuine thing that scares me is, uh, you know, I do, um, one of the things I didn't mention at the top, but I, I, I run Comedy Club for Kids and I'm currently touring a kids show about politics. And uh, I'm sort of aware that all the time we're telling kids, hey, if you lie and misbehave, you might end up as prime minister. And I think that's a really dangerous message when, Everything else we're teaching kids is about morality and about being good. And it's stories where you, you know, Robin Hood robbed the rich to help the poor. or All these people did, you know, went out of their way to be kind. And here we're saying, oh, no, actually, if you're racist and you lie, uh, you can be in the best job in the country. Which I think, I don't know how that's going to end. I think that's really scary. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that show show there. Um, how, how is it then, I suppose, performing political comedy for children and... Um... You know, are parents kind of bringing their kids to that with a view that, that they might learn a little something? What What's the kind of uh, role there for you, I suppose? Is it is it solely to, to, to entertain or are you kind of part, part teacher, part comedian on those days? Uh, I Yeah, no, I'm the idiot in the show. So my colleague is Tatson Spiller, who runs Simple Politics. And he's brilliant, right? He goes into primary schools and has explained Brexit to them, which I don't understand how he does it. He's amazing. Um, he goes in and explains parliamentary procedure and stuff. And he used to work, um, he used to be a teacher, but he also used to be in the parliamentary education service. And anyway, in the shows, he's the clever one that breaks things down. And I'm the idiot that interrupts things with stupid questions. And I'm the one who he asked me to get lots of political facts but I misheard him and I got political cats uh you know so it's all silly silly stuff but the whole point of the show is we say to kids it's not hard to understand this is what it is and we've got a very simple thing where we say politics is having a problem choosing solutions for that problem choosing which one of the solutions you think will work and then acting on it and that's it that's all politics is right and we break it down we just tell kids look these are all about deciding what you want in the future and so we're completely non-partisan and we're not pro or anti any party uh, and in the show I've actually got my own party which I call the birthday party uh, where our policies are having lots of cake eating it and then having a nap um, which some might say actually is pretty much Boris's policy as well but it's, it's not um, but, um, and uh, yeah and we've got a lovely slogan which is uh, if you've got a birthday vote for us uh, but we're inclusive so people that don't have birthdays can also vote for us um, so it's, all, it's very silly it's being silly but it's with the overall message of look you know 
don't be scared of trying to understand this. Um, it affects everything in our lives. You know, pay attention. That's basically what we're, we're trying to say. So hopefully it's worked um, or hopefully will work. I won't know for another 10 years or so, I suppose, based on the age of the kids. But we'll see. We'll see. It sounds fantastic. Um, helping adults, I suppose, understand the election then a little bit more if you can. Um, so look, it is... Is Jeremy Corbyn as unliked as the mainstream media um, would like us to think or actually to, to more people like him than we expect? Uh, that's a very hard question. I, I think and, and I should I should also be clear. I've been very anti Boris and I, I, I like Corbyn, but I think he's rubbish at a lot of things. And I also think the anti-Semitism stuff is really concerning. Um I think that it is. I was reading an interesting piece the other day that that most of the British public think a third of Labour members are anti-Semitic, and the actual figures, according to the standards, are about one percent. Um, but it's still not being dealt with quickly enough. It's still not being dealt with seriously enough. It's a proper. It's it's stupid, especially as it can be brought up as an attack against them, especially because it loses trust, you know, in the Jewish people against them. It's, it's ridiculous that they didn't just deal with it quicker. Anyway, but I think that I think that the you know we have had. Four years of attacks on Corbyn. Every single time you read a paper, he's weak, he's rubbish. And um, Loughborough Uni have been doing an interesting study this election on newspaper coverage and news coverage. And the majority of coverage has been negative about Labour, um, with the next majority being positive about Conservatives. And then the Lib Dems and Greens barely get anything. And so I suppose if all you hear for years and years is this man is terrible you're going to think this man is terrible. And I, I know a lot of people that love him. I also know people that hate him. I know people that are completely ambivalent to him and don't care. Um, and, you know, Boris is a character and, and people are very aware of him. And I think that makes a big difference. Uh, I, d I don't know. I really don't know how it's going to swing. Uh, Corbyn's got big popularity with young voters. And I don't know who else particularly would have got Stormzy on board who managed to get a lot of young people to register to vote um, you know so it's that sort of thing I think is is quite important but I, there's a weird you know lots of people say oh any other leader any other Labour member any other anyone could have done better against Boris than Corbyn but no one's challenged Corbyn that had even an iota of personality everyone that went up against him was so incredibly boring and also pushing the politics that lost Labour the election massively in 2015 so you know, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of denial on, on all sides. I think people that think Corbyn's perfect are ridiculous and people that think he's absolutely the worst person ever are ridiculous. Um, I think he's probably somewhere in the middle. And it, it, again, we should be looking at what policies. He's not going to be there forever. Um, you know, Labour also is a party that's dictated by democracy, by the party. Uh, I feel like I'm being a party spokesperson here, which I try not to do as a comedian. I think it's really important to be able to go, actually, everyone's terrible. Um, but, you know, I, I also been reading into this and, you know, the Tories, they they have a handful of members. They The public don't get to decide who the leader is. You know, it's it's all very, in, um, what's the word, insular. Whereas Labour is a big thing of every member gets to vote on all their policies, you know, when you're voting for a party, you're not just voting for that one person. And and I think a lot of people are forgetting that this election, which, well, they forget it every election. And that's what's really bad. Cheery, cheery stuff. Sorry. <laughs> well, well, there's something I, I must mention to you on, on your um, partly political podcast, which I would encourage everyone kind of after listening to this, if, if they want to understand more or, or just hear more of Tin. And uh, it's a fantastic podcast. It, it kind of helps me understand politics a little bit more. And have a good yeah, chuckle. Thank you. One of the biggest chuckles I've had recently was when you described um, the Lib Dem leader, Joe Swinson, as, as a kid who chooses to stay late after school to help the teacher tidy up as a cover for not having any friends. Um, what, role, 
What role can the Lib Dems play in all this, Tiernan? Oh, goodness. I don't know. That's, that's funny, like that one. I, the one I've been doing on stage this week is the woman who's still dining out on the time that she was temp staff worker of the week. Um, but, you know, I, I think... Like, I don't know, because it looks like mainly, uh, if, we're, if we're going for an analytical point of view, I'll pretend that I know things that I haven't got a clue about. Um, it looks mainly like they're going to divide the Labour vote uh, and therefore boost the Tories in a lot of seats, which is really dangerous. And also, I find really strange from a party that is wants to remain, but they're going to aid the Conservatives who will definitely make us leave. That, that I think, think that's a really strange way to do it. Um, but there is a chance that there are lots of marginal seats between Conservatives and Lib Dems where the Lib Dems could pip it to the post, um, especially in some of the home counties where they are very remain, um, you know, and, and they may prefer Lib Dem rather than sort of more kind of uh, Brexity Conservatives. I. I don't know though. I, 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 they're they're going down in every poll, and I think again we're just going to end up with a head-to-head -head leadership, you know, uh, to thing. What was I going to say? Head-to-head -head leadership race, and um, it's just going to be between Labour and Conservatives when it comes down to it. I think, but I, I don't know. It's a real shame. We've got a system where we only ever get to choose between two, and we had the option back in twenty eleven. I don't know if you remember that we had the vote for AV, which alternative voting, which was um. Alternative voting wasn't the best voting system, but rather, but what it would have done is we could have voted for it and said, hey, we're keen to change the voting system. And instead, everyone went, no, nah, I can't be bothered. <laughs> and now, you know, we're forever in this ridiculous situation. So who knows? Who knows? I'm afraid, Lois, I've, I've got no real answers for you. I'm very sorry. No, that's quite right. That's all very interesting. Um, and something else I kind of need want to mention to you about is, is we've heard this this phrase, tactical voting. Um what is it all about? What does it all mean? Tactical voting is, you know, very simply looking at your area and working out who you could vote for in order to... Well, it depends. People have got different things. So some tactical voting is just to get rid of Conservative MPs and some is just to get rid of uh, Brexit MPs and some is actually to get rid of Remain MPs. So it depends on what your preferences are. Um, but tactical voting is simply looking at who would be the best candidate to vote for in order to get rid of the one that you don't want. So it's rather than saying, I would love to vote for this candidate, I actually believe in them. It's going, who is the least shit? Um, sorry, am I allowed to swear? I realise I haven't sworn so far. Is that all right? Yeah, good. All right, fine. In which case, who is... I'm amazed I haven't sworn so far, really, considering we're talking about the election. Um, probably too early in the day. Um, but yeah, um, so you're looking at who's who's the least shit rather than who would I actually like to vote for, which is really depressing that that's what we've come to as a country. Um, but there are lots of ways you can do this. There are different tactical voting sites, and I would be slightly wary of them because I've tried them all for my area and four different sites recommend three different things, which isn't very helpful. Um, I think it's more sensible to look on... Uh, the last uh, the last voting in your area, you can always, like Wikipedia is amazing for just looking up what the vote count was last time in your area. You can look it up and see who came second. It's probably best to vote for them. It's also worth, though, looking at local polls coming up to the event. Um, you know, I'm in an area where Labour came second, but it does really look like Lib Dems have kind of halved the Labour vote here. So I'm almost certainly going to vote Labour, but I'm also going to keep an eye on the polls. And if it really looks like Lib Dems could kick out our current MP, I might have to. I mean, I don't want to, but we'll have to wait and see. It's, it's kind of dependent on what you want and, and how you think best to approach it. I mean, I still think, really, we should all just be voting for the ones we actually would like to have and the policies that we like. Um, you know, uh, my crap joke at the moment is you should vote for who you believe in, which is why I'm going to vote for Odin, the Allfather. Um, but it's, you know, I think that's really important. Just 
you know, uh, choose the choose the future that you'd like to have. Uh, I think, but hey, if if you've got no other option and maybe you're in a very safe seat, then tactical voting might be best. And uh, finally, on on, the, on this election coming up, Tin, and is there any kind of for those that are going to be following along with the election on election night? Um, is there any kind of key constituencies that um, that might swing it either way? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, uh, there are loads, and I can't remember what they all are. Um, but one is, uh, is it Croydon Central? I think you've got, it's one of the Croydon areas that nearly always, whichever way it goes, that ends up uh, whoever gets the majority. Um, so that's worth checking out. Um, and then uh, a lot of the, the media is sort of focused on various northern places. I was talking about the Workington man um, and how the Workington man will vote. But actually, Workington's been, it's not particularly an area to look at because it's kind of been changeable and, I don't think it's going to particularly display. I think the Midlands are going to be very important. There's a lot of talk of various places in the Midlands going from Conservative to Labour, which would make quite a difference. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I've been looking for that and I've been listening to people say which constituencies we have to be looking at. And actually, there's so many because this time it's so changeable. And in the 2017 election, there were so many seats that were won by just like a handful of votes. Like Canterbury was hundreds of votes and Kensington was like, I think it was literally like a hundred and something votes between the two main candidates. Um, and with so many of those that, it you know we could see an absolute change from everything we've heard we could see it go much more severe one way or the other we genuinely don't know because it could be up to about 100 people or so and that's why it's really important i think that you know it got very tedious everyone saying don't forget to register to vote don't forget to register to vote but actually this is one of those elections where everyone's vote might make a big difference um which is also why it's very concerning that they're forecasting snow on the uh, on the 12th of december for quite a lot of places because that may stop quite a lot of people getting out to the ballot boxes um which could also make a massive difference so there's so many variables um and i don't know you know i, th I think it's it's very um wise to I wouldn't say don't pay attention to the polls and don't pay attention to the general feel of things because they may well be right. I don't know. And, and there are lots of they're using lots of different tactics, and lots of different statistics to try and get it. But I think it's it's very wise to probably not hedge your bets anywhere right now um, because it could it could very much change as the night goes on. I'm going to be staying up with a lot of whiskey and a whole load of crisps and trying my best <laughs> to take as much of it in as possible before uh, collapsing probably in the early hours. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Uh, I, I, I loved what you mentioned there about the snow. I've got a friend from, uh, well, a few friends from the north, but one of my friends from the north always goes on about, oh, the Tories don't care about the north. The Tories screw the north. And now the, the weather is going to screw the north out of this election. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll, you know, it'll help all those people that go, ah, oh, snowflakes have ruined the election. Uh, that's what will happen. Um, but yeah, the weather's going to be a problem. Also, there are various northern places we here might actually turn conservative this election because they want to get Brexit done. But whether or not that's true, we don't know. Who knows? Who knows, Lawrence? Absolutely no one, no one knows whatsoever. <laughs> Finally, Tin, and um, you, you recently or, or currently am uh, on tour with, um, with Frankie Boyle. How's that going? That's lovely because uh, Frankie is miserable about everything uh, in his brilliant, charming, very funny way. Um, he can be horribly bleak and very funny about all of it, which is very, very helpful at this time. And therefore, his audiences are up for that. So I'm really enjoying being bleak and miserable about the election to them, too. I mean, in joke form, I make this sound like we're not doing comedy. We're very much doing jokes. But uh, I think with the nature of this one. You kind of need to say to an audience, right, let's laugh rather than cry about this. And uh, his audiences are wonderful for that. So um, we've been having a really good time. So we got all of those doing those up until the day of the election. 
we got one on the 12th and then we got one on the 16th after the election which uh that's going to be an interesting one isn't it probably going to have to spend a lot of the day writing <laughs> rewriting everything <laughs> before that one and uh, we've had other comedians on here that have kind of spoken about um you know what it what it's like being an opener for for a household name i suppose um, how how do you find that as as gigs go are they pretty good they're really good, but but Frankie's uh, lovely with it, and he always introduces me on the mic so that people know. Uh, it, I sort of feel like it's really small, but it feels like that's giving you know him giving, uh, uh, sorry, the audience getting uh, his approval of me. You know, so I feel like that makes it better. When you, I, I've done it before of the bigger acts where you walk out cold and the audience is like, oh, it's a support act. Whereas if the act that they're coming to see says, here's this brilliant act, and they all go, oh, this, you know the act that we're seeing trusts them. And I think that makes a massive difference. But I, I love it. I've, this is like the fifth or sixth time I've supported Frankie. And um, he's so much fun to work with. And uh, I really get on with him. But also, I love being able to listen to his jokes. Like, so he's um, working on all his material for his New World Order end of year roundup that will be happening over Christmas. Um, and you hear a joke one night and it's one line. And then three nights later, it'll be a full five minute routine. And I love, you know, I've been doing, as I said, 16 years this job. And I still am learning from other acts listening to how they do that I still find that absolutely fascinating so it's properly good it's really good and you know I can't complain I'm getting to play to uh, sold out crowds every night throughout December instead of Christmas dues so that feels like an absolute win yeah good on you man uh, Tin and thank you ever so much for taking time to talk to us about all this and uh, good luck with, with the rest of the gig cheers thank you very much and I hope I haven't been too bleak good luck everyone good luck and, and just hey by December 13th it'll be over uh, that's, that's what's most important <laughs> and we could just at least have a Christmas and a sleep and then we'll deal with it in the new year. Thank you for listening to Talking Tricks with Cade and Abel. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. <laughs>